<laughs> you know what old Jack Burton says at a time like this? This episode of Diabolical contains spoilers for Big Trouble in Little China. Yes, sir. Welcome to Diabolical, the show where four long-suffering friends dissect film's most dastardly schemes, then try to improve them. I'm your host, Ben Steinson, and this week's movie is Big Trouble in Little China. So, hop aboard the Porkchop Express, and let's get Diabolical. As always, I'm joined by our panel of peril. Please introduce yourselves and tell us, what's your favourite non-Carpenter Kurt Russell film? I'm Adam Turner, and my favourite non-Carpenter Kurt Russell film is The Computer Wears Tennis Shoes. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Deep cut. That's not real. (laughs) <laughs> it's real it's on disney plus go i was looking up his back catalog and i was like whoa let's have a look what he's done over the years and i was like what the hell is this and i was like oh it's on disney plus so i watched it and it's well funny it is amazing <laughs> it's so funny it's a really early like 1960s disney movie there's a i can't remember the simpsons or futurama episode called the computer war men issues which is obviously a pun on that it, it's great he's um basically like a, a college student and he he uh, goes into like a computer room one night and like gets electric shock and all of a sudden there's like a computer transplanted into his head and um when they do an x-ray on him there's loads of like lights and stuff flashing around in his head and he's going beep boop beep boop beep <laughs> Oh my god, the camp value is like priceless. <laughs> so there you go. That's my favourite non-carpenter Kurt Russell movie from now on. Wow. All right. Craig here. And my favorite non-John Carpenter Kurt Russell movie is Overboard. If you're unfamiliar with Overboard, Goldie Horn is married to a rich guy, falls over a overboard on a on a yacht, and when she regains consciousness, she has amnesia. So Kurt Russell who rescues her, tells her that she's his wife and gets her to raise his kids who are all a bit unruly. I'm Gareth Slade and my favourite non-John Carpenter Kurt Russell film is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 in which Kurt Russell plays Kurt Russell as a living planet. My favourite non-Carpenter Kurt Russell film is The Barefoot Executive. Is that an early Disney one as well? It is an early Disney one in which Kurt Russell is working for a TV studio picking hit shows. Only it's not Kurt Russell picking the shows. It's his pet monkey, and he never fails. (laughs) 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 Wow. Released July 1st, 1986. Big Trouble in Little China was director John Carpenter's fourth collaboration with star Kurt Russell, following Elvis, Escape from New York, and The Thing. The film was a commercial failure, grossing $11.1 million in North America, well below its estimated budget of $19 to $25 million. It also received mixed reviews that left Carpenter feeling disillusioned with Hollywood and influenced his decision to return to independent filmmaking. However, Upon release into the growing home video market, it gained a steady audience and has since become a cult classic. 1986 was a special year for cinema, with Karate Kid Part 2, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Labyrinth, Short Circuit, 
Stand By Me, Top Gun, Aliens, and of course Howard the Duck all released. Elsewhere, on April 26, the nuclear reactor at Chernobyl exploded, causing the release of radioactive material across much of Europe. The Space Shuttle Challenger disintegrated just 73 seconds after launching, killing all seven astronauts on board, and the Oprah Winfrey Show debuted on US national television. There was also some football thing with a short fella punching a ball into a net. In Big Trouble in Little China, Kurt Russell plays truck driver Jack Burton, who gets caught up in supernatural goings-on in San Francisco's Chinatown. Jack must help his friend rescue his fiancée before the evil Lopan uses her to break an ancient curse that keeps him a fleshless, immortal spirit. Lopan's plan is to find, marry and sacrifice a green-eyed woman in order to break the ancient curse, using a combination of dark magic, street toughs and the clout of the Wing Kong Exchange. So what did we think of the film? I'll go first because... It's best to get my downer of opinion out of the way rather than ending ending on it. And then we'll get to the people who I imagine (laughs) think more of it than I do. I was wondering why you were looking a bit mardy today. Now I know why. (laughs) It's okay. I watched it not too long ago prior to beginning the podcast and... I enjoyed it that time, so I don't know whether rewatching it so quickly has clouded my opinion, or like I said um, last week, it's the second watch that informs your opinion more closely. I just I wasn't overly engaged by it. I didn't find it funny. I don't know. I was on my phone a lot <laughs> during it. You'll see when we get to the various categories, favorite favorite line, and so forth. I was on my phone a lot. <laughs> I don't know because I, I love John Carpenter. I love Kurt Russell, but I just I was quite unengaged by it. Unfortunately, <laughs> is is the main takeaway that I had from it. That's funny because when you said that you wanted to to start to get your downer of an opinion out of the way, I assumed that you were going to say that you didn't like it, and that I was going to bring up the tone slightly by saying it was okay because that's also what what I felt about it. Having said that, it's the first time I've ever seen it, so I don't have any nostalgia uh, for it. But I, I wouldn't say I, I didn't find it funny. There were there were bits that I found very funny. I think it's successful at what it aims to do, which is you know partly to to lampoon the sort of action genre. But yeah, I also wasn't massively engaged with it. I didn't feel invested in it, and I don't know if that presumably wasn't intentional, but maybe it's due to the the sort of uh, almost spoofy nature of it. But yeah, having said that, I um, I found it quite enjoyable, but I wouldn't put it in like like one of my top tens or anything like that. The one choice that I really really like from Kurt Russell is doing John Wayne's voice for for Jack. I think that's genuinely brilliant. Yeah, I kept thinking he was saying, "Get off your horse and drink your milk." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I also on that I I saw a, a video that said that the scene. When he's speaking to Wang at the start after the whatever they're gambling on, he seems quite cool in that scene, and that's because that scene was added later after test audiences said they were disappointed that uh, Kurt Russell wasn't the hero and that it was made to make him look more heroic. So that probably didn't help. Well, if I'm going to have my two cents on it now, I'll quickly say um, it was rushed. The production was hugely rushed because um, at the same time, um, the Golden Child Eddie Murphy flick was coming out and it's a similar kind of vein. And the studio kept pushing and pushing and pushing. Um, and 
as a side note to that, Stein has already mentioned Aliens came out that year. Big Trouble in Little China was released less than two weeks before Aliens was released. And apparently it didn't affect the film very well because there was so much hype around the Aliens movie and his alien coming back and stuff like that. So as soon as that came out, it did very well in its first weekend. I think it, it did like two and a half million dollars in its first weekend. And then, of course, the, the subsequent week, Aliens came out and that was smashing it all over the place, wasn't it? So um, And it's still an absolute classic and has stood the test of time. He always has bad luck like that, doesn't he? Carpenter, yeah. Carpenter always has bad luck with things like that because E.T. came out the same time as The Thing, didn't it? Yeah, but the, 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 the poles apart as well, aren't they, really? And same same with this in a way, isn't it? So, But yeah, you could probably say that as cult classics go, The Thing is much more of a cult classic than Big Trouble in Little China. But having said that, I remember seeing it as a kid. I can't remember, probably eight or nine years old and I loved it and I watched it like I say just before Christmas and I was and I was like yeah this is this is just cheap laughs really um but after I you know I've, I've, I did a bit of research before I watched it again and it, it may it did make me think cast a different light on the movie and think about it in a different way and, I, and like the things I've just mentioned then I could see it was you could see in places they're sort of like let's come on let's push through let's push through let's get this done and, and that's how it seemed but I still think it's I, I was laughing at quite a few times and then you've got all this sort of quite a few little Chinese character actors from that the 80 movie scene sort of in there the guy who plays Dave Lopan James Hong yeah he's fantastic in it by the way I think he's he's the best thing about it he's so good and uh yeah he was famously in Seinfeld he was the uh the guy who makes them wait for their table at the Chinese restaurant but I, I'm with you Sona. I think it was uh I think it was great uh, the nostalgia factor for me was turned right up to 11. But also this this time, I mean, it's the first time I watched it in over 20 years, I'd say. And I, I think I appreciated it on a new level. I, I started to understand that it was a spoof, whereas a kid, it was just, you know, it was all balls to the wall action for me. I, I laughed all the way through it. I thought a lot of the special effects stand up really well. Yeah, especially the lightning. It's brilliant. Yeah, and I still, I still love it when the guy puffs up and explodes it's just great <laughs> yeah, I, yeah i laughed when i was a kid and i laughed last week yeah it's ace sadly what doesn't stand up very well in given the subject matter is the fight choreography it's all pretty poor uh, i think that's where you can see how rushed it is like the 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 battle in the alleyway is really uh unconvincing and doesn't have a lot of it uh, maybe we're spoiled by more recent sort of uh Chopsaki and like kung fu movies and stuff, but it didn't didn't look good to me. And also the uh, the beast creature didn't look very good. I didn't think it looked like it had been you know not made not made by the Henson Company. Let's say a bit bit wobbly. Yeah, I, I mean all of those creatures looked a bit dodgy, but yeah, I thought it was kind of of its time. And yeah, I, I still I would still much rather see a, a dodgy a dodgy costume that someone spent hours and hours making than than a CG. Thing that looks you know almost too perfect to be honest yeah i'm with you there until it until it improves but you know that's not to to downplay the effort that digital artists put in because obviously they, they do yeah it's just no yeah it's from my my personal uh yeah uh, my personal preferences for for practical effects and and you know they, they are bad but at least yeah they they are fun still yeah so what were your favourite lines, Gaz? Let's start with you. <laughs> I've got one written down, which is from the scene mentioned earlier that was a reshoot during the, the card game. And Wang just says, nothing or double. <laughs> I just, I enjoy, 
I enjoy phrases being slightly twisted like that. Like there was there was a show when we were younger. I, I can't even remember the comedians that were in it. But one of them always used to say uh, he was quite a posh out of touch character. And he always used to say, should we go for uh, chips and fish? And that always used to really make me laugh that he couldn't even say <laughs> fish and chips. Right. So that's that's what reminded me of it, uh, saying nothing or double. How about you, Adam? I picked the. It's not really. It's not really one line. It's a bit of a an exchange between two characters, Eggshen and Jack Burton. I think they're going down the lift, and Jack says to Egg, "Is that a mag- magic potion?" "Yep." "Thought so." "We gonna drink it?" "Yep." "Thought so." And I just, I just couldn't help but laugh at that. I just thought it was such a, <laughs> it was such like a stupid. It sounded like an ad libbed kind of thing, but it made me laugh. And I was like, "That's the best line in, in it." So the best sequence in it, anyway. So that's what that's what I like to know. Just on that, before I tell you my favourite lines, did anybody else get the impression that what Egg had given to Jack and the others was some kind of amphetamines? Yeah. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> suddenly, suddenly after that, he's really confident. And also in his, in the elevator, he says, does anyone else feel really warm? He goes, I feel really positive. <laughs> <laughs> that was his magic potion, just some kind of drugs, some kind of upper. <laughs> just liquid LSD. It was opium. Opium. Chinese were known for smoking opium back in the day, so why didn't you just give them liquid opium, probably? Yeah, could be that. So um, I wrote down three lines. One of them is not as strong as the other two, so I think I'll forget about it. But So one of them is, it's very Duke Nukem. He says, if we're not back by dawn, call the president. I just thought that was quite fun. <laughs> yeah, that, I remember that one. It's good, yeah. <laughs> but my, my very favourite one is when he's doing his first Pork Chop Express uh, What's he doing there, by the way? Is he is he broadcasting that? Anyway, he says um, he says if they ask you have you paid your dues, you say yeah. The check is in the mail, which obviously means <laughs> no, right? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was great. Yeah, I've got a couple of a couple of uh, favorites. It's not really a line, but I loved Lopan's giggly kind of giggly schoolgirl laugh when he's becoming mortal. <laughs> it just cracked me up. That was excellent. I love the, descript- the description of the Wing Kong Exchange. The Wing Kong Exchange, the most dangerous cutthroat den of madmen in Chinatown. And then just the, probably my favorite line of all was Wang. He goes, uh, the world is full of crazy people, Jack. Hoodlums. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any other highlights? A few, yeah. So my, my first highlight, not to get too on cinema at the cinema, so I noticed that the runtime was an hour and 40 minutes. And I was like, oh, that's nice. It's a nice runtime for a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Just a sweet spot for Craig. Yeah. Quite early on, Jerry Hardin, who played Deep Throat in the X-Files, shows up. And I was quite pleased to see him. I not see him much. I really like the nominative determinism in uh, Kim Cattrall's character, who is a lawyer. And her name is Gracie Law. Yeah, it's amazing. How, how weird is that? I've written here, wet shirt at 56 minutes, <laughs> if you're interested in that kind of thing. If you're really interested in seeing some nice uh, nice human body, if you get to one hour and nine minutes, one hour and nine minutes, one of the Cloud Gang members has an incredibly long neck. Super long. Because <laughs> I've never seen this before, it helped me to understand a gag from Futurama that I never got before, which is that floating eye guardian thing. Jim Bray shows up in Futurama and it's like, right. uh, don't yeah. tell my boss I was asleep. <laughs> That's preposterous that you've never seen it until now. I know, it's mantle. Call yourself a film fan. Yeah, I don't know why. I've seen bits of it, but never got around to watching it. So yeah, those are my, my highlights. 
Excellent. You just reminded me of, of one more line that kind of blew me away. I think it's it's in the alley just before the uh, the kind of the fight between the, the kind of rival sides. And uh, Wang just says, turns to uh, Jack and just says, Chinese standoff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's weird, isn't it? I've never heard that before. <laughs> Jack kind of looks at him a bit funny, though, doesn't he, as well? So it's like, what the hell? So maybe it was an intentional joke for that. Yeah, that, that made me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> Turner, do you have any other highlights you'd like to share? Yeah, I just enjoyed the whole film, really. And it was just like me sitting on the sofa with inside my mind, my tiny little child self was sitting there clapping his hands. So yeah, it was good. <laughs> There was one sequence I particularly liked. I forget where it was in the running order. But they're, they're swimming through a flooded corridor and there's quite a few skeletons around them. I thought the, the lighting was great and the music as well. John Carpenter's synth score, as always, superb. It's just far too short, far too short. And it also, for some reason, brought to my mind, uh, going back to Aliens, Alien Resurrection. I'm sure the sequence in that, the underwater sequence, is a rip-off of... Big Trouble in Little China sequence, which I'd never connected before. They just swim through the kitchens at the bottom of the, the boat, don't they, on that? And it's just like, and they're holding their breath for like half an hour, and then eventually an alien yeah. comes and tries to get them. A really bad CG alien. Yeah. Oh, yeah, terrible. <laughs> what did you think of the uh, the neon skull and escalator combo in the ancient palace? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was quite something, wasn't it? I wasn't sure at first if they were meant to be magically descending or like, were we meant to be aware that there was an escalator there? But apparently we were. I had no idea. It's uh, it's definitely bleak when your highlight is the lighting, right? Props to the cinematographer. But yeah, I definitely think, I thought it was, it was more enjoyable than, than Gaz seemed to have taken away from it. I think Gaz enjoyed it more than he thought he enjoyed it as well. I think he's secretly trying to hold himself back from it, like exploding with happiness. <laughs> <laughs> he's on to me. <laughs> so what did you think of Lopan's plan? I found this one more difficult than anyone we've done before because for his kind of resources and, and goals, his plan is basically flawless and the flies in the ointment are totally unpredictable. So. I think, yeah, his plan's fine. Maybe mine's better. We'll see. What's precluding him from marrying a green-eyed girl sooner? Have I just tuned out too much? Yeah, you tuned out too much, yeah. <laughs> he does try, but he fails, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I at first I thought the same thing, but then um, when I like watched back and, and caught some of the lines that I had missed the first time as well, he does tell Burton, because he asked the same question, that there have been others, but you know what things are like between men and women doesn't always work out. Doesn't want to talk about his ex. How he describes it. What, I'm, what I think he means, probably, is that he tried to put them through the ritual with the blade and that they failed and he had to just kill them and not marry them. It's his mum's knitting needle. That as well, yeah. But before that, they've got to do that ceremony, right? Where, where they raise them up to the to the blade and the roof. Yeah, that one. Oh, yeah, was it the flaming blade or something he calls it? The burning blade, I think it is. Yeah, something like that, yeah. There's that and um, it's quite... Uh, green eyes are quite rare anyway, but they're particularly rare among Chinese women. But it's weird though, because he, he he's going to marry them both, isn't he? I don't know how that was going to work. Because why was he, he obviously he had to prick her then then he was going to kill her to satisfy the god and then he was going to marry Kim Cattrall wasn't he yeah he's was going to kill one and then live out his earthly pleasures on the other he was going to have his cake and eat it too nice green icing 
He's going to prick one of them and rub the other. <laughs> what do you think of the plan, Gaz? Uh, <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> as far as supernatural schemes go, it seems logical. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I haven't, genuinely have not got a lot to say on it. What I hope is that someone's listening to this based on the fact that we're looking at Big Trouble in Little China and because they love it. The social media is going to be on fire. <laughs> They're going to trash us. <laughs> well, I think it was the best plan since sliced bread. <laughs> Care to, ex- to elaborate? Nope. Okay. <laughs> what, was, what was the thinking behind sliced bread? Convenience, of course. Getting an equal equal uh, cut. Have you ever tried to cut yeah. bread? Bloody rock. Still warm bread. Still warm bread and you want a sandwich? Yeah? Not happening, mate. Not happening. Sliced bread? Forget about it. Unless you like your sandwiches in wedges. <laughs> of various sizes. <laughs> this is the part of the show where our panel of peril compete for the title of this week's Most Diabolical and with it, the honour of choosing next week's movie and hosting the show. Lopan's plan was to find, marry, and sacrifice a green-eyed woman in order to break an ancient curse. But he was unsuccessful. Slade, what would you have done differently? He would have made a different movie, right? Been a character <laughs> in a different movie. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been Guardians of the Galaxy 2, clearly. <laughs> Finished? All right, next. <laughs> okay, well... I was pretty stuck for a good plan this week, to be honest. The previous plans that I've done for for Demolition Man and Ace Ventura were pretty much fully formed in my head before the film had actually ended. But this one was a bit of a bastard. So bearing that in mind, I'm making a bit of a leap of faith here and I'm saying that Ching Dai, the demon whom Lo Pan is sacrificing his green-eyed brighty, he's pretty goddamn ancient, if you guys would agree that that's right. Yes. Okay, so... Bearing that in mind, after your hair goes grey and your balls go terrible and saggy, one of the degenerations of old age is your eyesight. (laughs) Yes. Going from there, all you'd need to do, all you'd need to do is use the ancient art of calligraphy, accompanied by, and this is key, an incredibly realistic illustration of a green-eyed Yankee to fool said <laughs> evil overlord. You show him the first drawing. You show him the first drawing. That's key. There's there's more than one drawing here. You show him the first drawing and you do a little voice behind your hand like, Oh, look at my lovely green eyes, Chingai, lovely. Then one of your henchmen should be all like, What's that over there? And when Chingai's incorporeal attention is diverted, quickly switch out the first drawing for a second drawing that has your green-eyed lady laying on the floor with her tongue sticking out and X's where her green eyes once were. Two words for you. Fool proof. Uh, so, sorry, l- let me just just recap that. So you, you plan to fool an ancient... Ancient omnipotent god. God with some doodles <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and, and a voice. <laughs> yeah. There's probably other senses one could employ beyond eyesight to determine that these drawings were not the real deal. Touch, perhaps. I shouldn't have thought so. Where I thought you were going, uh, and I thought I was going to give you like some some props for this. I thought you were going to say, give both the ladies green contact lenses, 
uh, and he wouldn't notice that they were contact lenses because ironically, neither actress in real life is green-eyed. Well, I'm trying to save the guy as much money as possible so he can be living La Vida Loca once he's yeah. made corporeal. So just ink and paper, no contact lenses. So we're relying on the hope that this omnipotent, all-powerful god has aged badly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Grey hair. Grey hair. Grey hair. Saggy balls. balls. Bad eyes. Then the eyes. Is that, that's the order. That's the order, yeah. Well, I guess my vote. All right. <laughs> Turner, show us what you got. Well, as um, old Dave says, it's not his first time, you know, up slack alley with women and stuff like that. So he's had his he's had his chances in the past. It hasn't worked out. So you know, he thinks about it for a little while. He thinks I just need more women. Essentially, he needs to sift through all these uh, green eyed f- fakes that are not getting him anywhere. So um, he needs. Basically, what do you do? You need more of them, don't you? So as a way of doing this, he, he sets up a chain of restaurants. And um, when people are coming for their for their meals and stuff like that, um, is is three stooges that are there, Harry Curley and Moe, the ones that are getting all electric and that. They're, they're the ones that run these restaurants. So when they come in and they, they spot these, oh, they are, aren't they? Harry Curley and Moe. I don't think they're named, are they? <laughs> Yeah, that's like these all-powerful warriors running running a chain of restaurants. Especially the really angry one who explodes. Yeah, yeah, that's it. When <laughs> when he gets a complaint, he just explodes. <laughs> <laughs> so these these three are running chains of restaurants for um, for Dave Lopan, and they're keeping an eye out for green-eyed women. So when the green-eyed women come in um, and they've had the dinner, of course, what what do you get after you finish a Chinese meal? Fortune cookie. Bingo. I'm so glad you didn't say the shits or something like that. No, God. <laughs> what Chinese are you going to? Well, I was going to say hungry again half an hour later. Hey, boom, boom. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so all the fortune cookies come out and they make sure the green-eyed girl on a particular table gets a particular special fortune cookie. So the girl opens the fortune cookie and it, it simply says, you will win a beauty competition. And that's it. She thinks nothing more of it, you know. And then while they're going out, secretly, either Harry Curley or Moe sticks up a poster outside the restaurant. A big one, well within the eyesight of the girl coming out saying, beauty competition, enter here. She's saying, oh my goodness, it must be a sign or something like that. So said girl, girls, all enter this competition set at a later date. And um, they all go through to a special final and things like that. And then Dave Lopan, he obviously gets his pick of the pick of the bunch and gets to choose who he likes and just to stop them from remembering any of this he obviously works his magical mojo on them so they can't remember anything should they fail the test however if they're successful then he's quids in and his god is sated and he is uh once again mortal and that's my plan so why not just they're already in the restaurant why 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 risk having them not bother entering the beauty contest. They might have ideas about beauty contests that they're, you know, shallow or something they want to enter. Well, that's a, that's a fall, that's a fallback. I guess he could also abduct them if he wanted to, but it's of their own free will. If he, they rock up to this beauty contest and they, they're offered a special prize or something, and then he takes them back to his little uh, chalet in uh, Bognor Regis and then uh, hypnotizes them and does stuff to him. The plan was almost foolproof because we all know that if there's a Chinese restaurant, a green-eyed girl can't resist. Exactly. She'll be in there like a shot. A, a girl with eyes cannot resist Chinese restaurants. 
I thought you were so close to a nugget of an idea there when you started talking. I thought what you were going to say is, this guy's been alive for thousands of years. He said that he's met other green-eyed girls before and didn't work out. What he should have been doing with them is breeding them, right? Because then that gene would be more prevalent and then he'd have more of a pick of them. But you didn't say that. Your plan wasn't as good as that. Well, is that what you're going to say, is it? No, but... Well, there you go then. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was a mighty fine plan and I thought that just laying laying the groundwork with a fortune cookie was a very clever idea. I can see why that appealed to you because you really like the the simple plans, don't you? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you know me. No, no convoluted plans from me. <laughs> One question I did have, Turner, is um, would this beauty contest be of the lovely legs variety with a, a board covering their faces and just showing the lower half of the body? Or would it be a, be a, a full kind of Miss World pageant style? It's whatever your heart desires, Ben. Ah, lovely legs competition, please. It's up to you. I'm sure Dave Lopan would not be looking at the legs. He'd be looking up here. Appear, their eyes are appear. <laughs> All right, no further questions. I've got one. What's the name of the chain of restaurants? <laughs> you must have something in mind. No, I didn't actually because his uh, uh, Lopan's got a business and it's called Wing Kong, isn't it? So I'm just gonna have it Wing Kong Chinese. That's it. You could have called it like Big Truffles in Little China. Like <laughs> <laughs> Why they don't serve truffles, not asked. They don't, why would they serve? They're not going to serve truffles just to, to satisfy your uh, pun curiosity. <laughs> serve truffles so we can call our our restaurants after a movie franchise we don't know we're in. What about big trifle in Little China? Then you telling me I'm not serving trifle? Because no, I'm not I'm not fucking eating there. Then <laughs> have you ever have you ever had trifle in a Chinese restaurant? I know I haven't. I am not eating there. There'll be no green eyed girls in there if you're not serving trifle. All right, Craig, come on, tell us what you got. All right, I I struggled as well. Um, Usually, well, what what I try and think of when when we when we're doing this is I try and think of first of all what are the powers at, at my disposal if I'm the, the villain and what do I want and then what what went wrong with their plan. So where this is kind of difficult is the powers at, at Lopan's disposal are kind of unknowable. We know that he can use magic. We don't know the full extent of his powers. We know he's respected and rich. We don't know quite how wealthy he is. He says, uh, quote unquote. Dark Chinese magic. Yeah, so that's kind of ethereal, right? We don't know exactly what the limit of that is. What does he want? He wants a girl with green eyes. Uh, That's the condition of breaking the curse of the flesh. Uh, And what went wrong? Like I said earlier, it's uh, nothing wrong with his plan, really. The the thing that goes wrong is that Wang and Jia meet Egg and Miao Yin and Gracie. They're kind of, they're unknowable factors. So with that in, in mind, I decided that my plan would be to just stop being such a fucking baby and just learn to live without the pleasures of the flesh. I mean, he's been around for thousands of years. You know, if Sting can learn Tantra in one lifetime, surely Lopan can learn to not be thinking about his dick all the time. <laughs> I know that Ching Dai has promised him greater power in addition to, to breaking the curse. So you might argue that even if I overcome the pleasures of the flesh, and uh, stop thinking about onanism all day, every day. I'm thinking about ruling the world, but I would say to you, ruling the world sounds like a lot of effort. And as Lopan, I'm already powerful enough and rich enough to rule Chinatown, maybe even the whole of San Francisco. And to me, that'll do. That's my corner of the world. I'm king there. I'm God there. I put it to you that he's already got everything he wants. 
and that having a wife would just be a, a necessary headache for him. Just be a drag. Yeah, just be a drag. Yeah. So, yeah, my plan would be to just not do the plan and just carry on being really powerful and, and live forever and fuck around in Chinatown. Yeah, but he obviously he's fed up. Never feeling any kind of satisfaction. Yeah. He probably hasn't pinched one out for a long time. I think he can learn in his mind palace after thousands of years, he can just remember the feeling of a, of a good ablution. What's your favourite sandwich, Greg? Ooh, now you're asking. I think chicken club. How long could you go without one? <laughs> Indefinitely. I mean, the, the longer you go without one, the easier it is. Because, you you know, after a few hundred years, you think, I don't really remember what I liked about Chicken Club. No, no, that's not true. Chicken Club gets into your mind. After 100 years, you'd be going, oh, I wish I had a Chicken Club. I think after after 20 years, you'd be going, oh, I'd give anything for Chicken Club. But after 100 years, you'd be like, I can't, I can't remember what, what did that, what did it taste like? And then you'd, you'd see one come past you on a plate, some, like a waiter would be serving it to someone else. And you'd see, go, is that a Chicken Club? Oh, a hundred years, and you'd you'd have that you'd have that eternal hunger for a chicken club. I think what what you're telling me is that the reason Lopan wants to break his curse is that he's hungry for chicken club. Correct. Yes. Essentially, or his his version of a chicken club. I don't know a, a fried noodle sandwich or whatever they ate back <laughs> in those days. But he he hasn't touched anybody because he goes to touch her when he's a spirit, doesn't he? And his hand goes straight through her, so he hasn't had he hasn't touched a physical another another physical being in hundreds and hundreds of years. So that probably you can you imagine not having human contact for a hell of a long time? That would drive you nuts. Yeah, have you been through COVID or, or not? <laughs> <laughs> Some absolutely diabolical schemes there. But there can only be one winner. I can't believe I'm about to say this, but this week's most diabolical and host of next week's show, for his plan involving some pretty nifty groundwork with a fortune cookie and a well-laid beauty pageant, is Adam Turner. Congratulations. (laughs) Excellent. Well, thank you very much. Gaz's plan with the uh, with the two doodles and uh, and a voice hidden by her hand was a close second, I must say. Not one, but two drawings. Fair dues, you did put us, put a yeah. lot of effort into that. Yeah, well, that's that's why it was so close. So, Turner, tell us what movie you picked for us. Well, next week we shall be watching 2012's The Campaign. Oh, that's a relief. I thought you were going to say Lord of the Rings. Well, it was on the tip of my tongue and it came out <laughs> with the campaign. <laughs> and that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, don't forget to hit subscribe so you'll be notified every time a new episode drops. And if you're looking for more weapons grade drivel throughout the week, join us on Twitter and Instagram at DiabolicalPod. And join us next week when we'll be diving into the murky world of the campaign, starring Will Ferrell and Zach Galifianakis. And remember, in real life, evil schemes are just plain mean. <laughs>